Jeff Euro 2024 is on our doorsteps and we're back with another episode or actually two episodes to preview the event it's me Brian Campion joined by Chris Roy and Alex Kulesh how are you boys are you excited for the Euro absolutely pumped two episodes 11 experts gonna join us it's probably the two episodes where you hear us three the least so enjoy it while it lasts good times <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited for the biggest European Championship ever the biggest championship ever is is that fair to say this this one in Germany 24 teams a world record attempt uh for attendance and even when you just look at the arenas the smallest arena is the 12150 Olympia Hallen in, in Munich going up to the 54000 in the Merker uh football arena uh and between those there's some big big stadiums that are going to be pretty full it's going to be good you want a little uh little tidbit a little uh piece of history here one which uh i was waiting to see if bjorn patson would mention uh in our upcoming group a preview the very first indoor olympics final 1972 was where the Olympia Halle in Munich, and it's back in its uh, its home in a in a place that part of Germany where most people say there is no handball. It feels like it's been a, a one man band of Dominic Klein trying to make handball happen in Munich for the last five years or so. Well, now it's finally happening, and uh, I'm particularly excited to be going there for the group phase. I think it's going to be a, a good time. But yeah, looking at the arenas. It's an ambitious tournament. Fans are actually going to be coming in from other countries. It's it's kind of got that final four feel, but for the whole championship, which is really exciting. Yeah, and I'm I'm sad not to be going there. Sad not to be going. There's two two men on this podcast who are going to be in the arena. Yeah. Uh, one of them is going to be stuck at home in in America, dreaming of the European heartland of handball. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. Because for the first time in a few years, since 2020, we're not the official podcast for the Euro. Gone Rogue by Hooker by Crook. We're going to be there delivering content, whether it's me and Brian on site or Alex from afar. And it means we can do, well, we did whatever the hell we wanted before, but now we can do whatever the hell we want even more. If you thought our hot takes were hot before, they're going to get really, really hot for this tournament. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. We just, we're still working for DHF. But uh, what are we doing today, Chris? Oh, we have. The I, first... I'm, I'm not working for DHF. I'm ready to, <laughs> to get my the hottest of takes down. out. Get the hottest of takes out. And you have to join us on Patreon to hear the hottest takes and uh, support us in this championship. I know many of you are already. Uh, following us on Patreon, following everything we're doing. So we do appreciate that. But uh, lots of bonus content, our Fantasy League, our Discord, uh, lots to come throughout the championship on our Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash handball hour. 
to follow us for just three dollars and you can uh you're there for for the whole month of the championship and onwards so uh thanks for following and do join us if you want to hear more of us giving amazingly hot takes <laughs> yes and already some hot takes coming up in this first preview podcast uh where we're going to go through uh group a b and c just a quick intro into the tournament 24 teams as we mentioned earlier six groups of four the top two teams from every group make it through to the main round so it's it's a lot more cutthroat than the world championships where the top three make it through only two from every group and then into two main round groups of six teams where again only two more teams progress into the semi-finals so there's really no messing around here for the big teams you know one defeat and your championship is in real jeopardy uh, also some qualification spots for the olympics up for grabs uh, so it's a huge tournament in that regard as well and uh, it's going to be tense all the way from the opening day uh, where we have uh, germany versus switzerland as the main event down to the final day where it'll be denmark against somebody let's find out who will be Denmark's opponent in that final, or even if it will be the case. Okay, so we start We start with Group A, and with France, Germany, North Macedonia, and Switzerland, and two of our favorite people to speak about these teams, uh, the top teams in it, France and Germany, are Kevin Dumas from Han News, and also the, the French Federation at this championship, right? Hello. I have many shirts, so I don't know which one to pick. So what? pick the one you want. And uh, speak, and well, no better man to join you for that than Bjorn Patson, who I, I shouldn't even bother starting uh, his list, his list of clients. Uh, Bjorn, you're in Kiel at the moment. Yes, exactly. I'm in the world famous media room of Wunderino Arena, or how you call it before, Sparkassen Arena, or Ostsehalle. No matter how old you are, you know the old names. Yes. And tomorrow we have the final test of the German team against Portugal. The first one was a 34-33 of the good first half. And tomorrow is the rematch before the big fight against Switzerland starts in uh, Düsseldorf. <laughs> yeah, I wrote to you uh, during that first half, Bjorn, uh, a message because I was watching on, I wrote to the guys as well, watching on German TV and... Uh, a 3-0 lead early on, and the German commentators were saying, oh, we're going to win it all. We're the best team in the world. <laughs> Classic German uh, hype being built. Yes, in the end, they were plus six, and uh, uh, they were just talking about uh, which team will face us in the final. No, it's not like this, <laughs> because, because we, we, we know that uh, we have no chance against Denmark in the final, but it's okay. In this constellation, you're qualified for Paris. No. Finally, the joke ends. Uh, it's, it's really like if you look, know football friends from SFC Köln in Cologne. Uh, if they lose two matches, there they start crying that they go to the second league. And if they win three matches, they're dreaming of the Champions League. And uh, But uh, to be serious, in Germany, there's a kind of euphoria for this Euro. And also there are some big hopes for the team. But uh, I think at the moment, nobody talks about... Uh, the, the chances to climb the winner's podium on 28th of January. Yeah, it's always tough. I think this, a lot of host nations over the last couple of years have been slight underdogs. And, you know, you, you get that boost. With Germany, they should be an underdog, but they're treated like a an overdog, a favorite straight away. So 
it, it always feels like there's going to be kind of a, a bit of added pressure. But I think this team has had quite a lot of pressure for a long while. Um, and they've known about this competition. And it feels like the players that they have out there are good enough to withstand it. You know, you, you look at their top players in terms of Yuri Knorr, of course, and Julian Custer. The, these are guys who they've taken their punches. They, you know, this team has taken its punches. And I think they're almost ready to to handle the, the pressure of a competition like this. But there's still some gaps in the squad overall. They have some talents, but there's some gaps in the squad. What what do you think might be, you know, who are the players that need to play a lot better than they usually do for Germany to succeed? But just one thing before we talk about the squad. I think uh, one sentence which says it all, which is the gap between Germany and Denmark. After we the German team lost the two times by seven goals against Denmark in the Euro Cup, and the Denmark played with two completely different teams. Alfred Islason said, if Denmark would be allowed to play with two teams at the Euro, both go to the semi-final. Mm-hmm. So with the with the German team, but looking on the on the on the German squad, you see, um, Andy Wolf was out for three months or two and a half months at uh, the beginning of the season, and but he's getting better now. It's really when you saw him in the first half against Portugal, it was eighty percent of the old Wolf. So there's still uh, room for improvement, of course, um, but. Uh, you see, last year, Yuri Knorr was a little bit different to Yuri Knorr this year because last year he was on a high flyer with his club. With Reinecker Löwen, they had a brilliant start. He was uh, the, the man of the match, all the matches. And now they, they have some problems in the league. But uh, I talked to him. We had the media day of the German team today. And I thought, uh, I can switch it now. So if it's not that good running with Reinecker Löwen, then uh, I'm 100% at the national team. There's no problem for him. So where we, we can see when you see the strength of Germany, definitely it's the goalkeepers. It's uh, the middle block if it's Gola and Köster. And definitely it's the, the line player and the inspiration of Juri Knorr. So positions where we really don't know where we stand at the moment are the wings. We have um, Lukas Mertens from uh, uh, Magdeburg. is now the number one on, on, the left ba- uh, on the left wing. Because uh, Runa Damka is a little bit injured. And on the right wing, it's Timo Kassening. He was out for a year uh, after a heavy knee uh, injury. But uh, he's getting better now. So I think that uh, when you see the wings, the right wing this time with Timo Kassening looks a little bit better. But Mertens, if he gets a counter-attack, he scores. So the, the question is how they, they switch from defense to attack. So Gislason wants to play a real fast handball. and um, and he does not want to, to make any changes of defense and attack. This means he has some t- technical options he might use then. Um, but in general, they have to have a high speed uh, in, in both directions. And you have to see what is the option uh, if you need to give Gola and Presta a rest in the middle block. Because there are not that many options. Henry Kekler is out for the Euro. He said he will not play anymore for the national team. So um, then you had an option with Marian Michalsik. He's out with injury now. So there are two, three players like Sebastian Heimann or Yannick Kohlbacher who can jump in in the middle block. But it's really there will be a gap uh, in the in the middle block if Gola and Presta are not on court. And tell us, Kevin, what's the general opinion on this German team in France? Are the French shaking in their boots or are they already looking past the group phase a bit? 
No, they're, they're, I mean, they're not afraid of the German team per se. Like, uh, like the, the, the feeling is that Germany have got a couple of world-class players, uh, Andy Wolf um, and Jurik Knorr uh, being the, the, the two obvious ones. But um, they're afraid of playing Germany in Germany. See what I mean? I mean, we remember 2019 uh, at the World Championship, and I think Germany was a was a much better team back back then. They had uh, Uwe Gensheimer, they had uh, uh, they had Kai Efner, and they had a couple of really really good players. And France uh, got a draw at the last second. Uh, so they are afraid of playing Germany in Germany. They are not afraid of Germany per se, but. Uh, Guillaume Gilles and the boys are really aware that this is going to be uh, the first turning point of the competition for them. Uh, with no disrespect to North Macedonia, with no disrespect to Switzerland, France should be able to win these games like pretty easily. But uh, if they want to make it to the semifinals, they have to take four points uh, with them uh, into the main round. And that means beating Germany uh, in the last game of the, the preliminary round. Goalkeepers is a thing we always talk about, France. And this time, <laughs> really? I think we have <laughs> I, I, or we have a good news story. Uh, and it's a player that I know you, Kevin, have uh, supported for quite a long time. Samir Belancen, who, uh, f- after many, many years in the French League, finally got the move to Kiel, has performed incredibly well, especially in the Champions League, where he's uh, averaging something like 34%. Um, really amazing, and has finally broken into the French squad. So, is he the final cure? Is he is he the 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 last weakness solved for France? Uh, it's funny because I was listening to Bjorn earlier, and he was saying, "Oh, we've got certainties on a couple of positions, and goalkeeper is one of them." Uh, France have got a lot of certainties on a lot of positions, but goalkeeper definitely isn't one of them. Uh, to be honest. I, I doubt Samuel Benassen is going to be like in the in the um, in the sixteen players that are going to be playing the opening game uh, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, he, he's only played a couple of times with France uh, against you know uh, opponents such as uh, Italia and such as uh, Lithuania. So it's it's unlikely to see him uh, being on the starting list uh, for the first game. Uh, the, the the fact that Vincent Gerard is out is a massive question mark for 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 France in the way that they actually no no, no one actually knows if Rémi Debonnet and Charles Bordanger are able to deliver at the highest level with so such pressure. It's one thing to be good in the Champions League every week. It's something completely else uh, to be good with France at the world uh, at the Euro or at the World Championship. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, Alex, but I don't yeah. think you're going to see uh, Samir Berasen uh, at the Euro, except if there is some kind of injury. He will probably be on the plane, but I doubt he will be on the court. Wow. That's very interesting. Big a, call. A, a, combined, a combined 38 caps for the three French goalkeepers. <laughs> so, you, you know, it's not like Charles Bolzinger is, uh, <laughs> is going to be holding that spot you know i think uh you might uh, might be switching around uh if if anything goes wrong or if anything and it's actually fun because Vincent Gerard has been given like a lot of uh discredit is that a word in english 
Yeah, shit as well. He's been given a lot of shit in the past few years <laughs> for not being able to deliver, you know, in the final weekends. But now we're actually going to see if anyone can do better than him mm. in, in the in the game that counts. Kevin, remember Germany, France last year, the World Championship. Germany was so good, and then came Bonfoy in the goal, which I had not known before, and he saved forty eight percent. And France was in the semi final. That's true. That's true. But I mean, if if you compare the level uh, that Andreas Wolf is able to to play at and the level that Debonnet and Bolzinger are able to play at, there's still quite a huge gap. If you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like comparing Dikamem to I don't even know who's the right back for Germany. <laughs> That says a lot. That was where my question to uh, Bjorn, when I said, is there any weaknesses? I, I was kind of looking at that right-back position and Bjorn just failed to mention any right-backs because he didn't even want to get into it. I just want to correct Kevin a little bit when he said, in 2019, the team was better. Now Hefner's out. No, Hefner's still in. Is he? <laughs> yeah. he's, ju- he's just 34. That's all. Yeah. Hefner, Wolf, Amke and Kohlbacher are the last survivors of the European uh, champion team in 2016. Hefner's still in. Yes, when we talk about right backs, uh, funny enough, uh, there is an option. There's, uh, which uh, I want to mention is that uh, we have four players which become under 21 world champions last summer in July. And uh, for the first match, they, they had not been nominated. And there was a real a kind of storm going through handball. Germany said, Okay, give these young guys, give them a chance. And now, when you see how they play, like for example, uh, Niels Lichtlein as the line player, as the the center back of Füchse Berlin, David Spät as the goalkeeper of Rheinecker Löwen, and we have the line player of Hannover, Justus Fischer, and then we come to the right back, Renas Uschins. Uh, his father was the Latvian national coach. He was born in Latvia, but he grew up in Germany. And uh, when you saw him uh, in the first match against Portugal, Hefner had some stomach problems in a week after Christmas. Maybe he had a little <laughs> bit duck too much, or I don't know exactly. So, and uh, he was out after 42, 43 minutes. And then this 21-year-old Renas Uschins came and uh, scored five from five. And, uh, of course, the right back is a, is a problem since players like Weinholz are out. But we have a very young talent, and he's not afraid of anything. So, he was the team captain of the under-21 world champions, and... Uh, he was the in the, the All Star team when they got European champion at the under 19, and you will see those four young guys. They're they're so happy to play, and uh, I would say that they can have a real impact on the German game. I wanted to ask you the the reverse question that I asked uh, Kevin. So, like, what's the general opinion in in German media of Germany's chances against France? I mean, with the with all the hype that's involved in the tournament, did it feel like they could do do a number against France, or is it still a bit out of touch? So when, when you see the last matches in competitive, uh, competitive matches, so France was always a stumbling stone for the German team. To be honest, the German team at the moment is really afraid of uh, Switzerland, of the opener, because when you see the Swiss team, the starting seven, they're all Bundesliga players plus Andy Schmidt. And uh, Andy Schmidt made the joke, oh, sorry, what happens if he crashed your party? And uh, so <laughs> there, there's really... In one match, in one match, Switzerland might beat Germany even. And nobody talks about France at the moment. We say, okay, we have to win the two first matches, and then we have a kind of group final against France. And uh, I would say, from from the roster and from from the the names, France is the favorite. 
But in Germany, the, the people count on the atmosphere. And when you have, uh, so you play in Berlin, you have 14,000 behind you, and then you go to Cologne, and then you have 20,000 behind you. And good for France is, uh, you know, my favorite statistics, uh, German men's A team played 12 matches in Langsas Arena in Cologne and won 12. So uh, this is good that we don't face France there. <laughs> So it would maybe maybe be the first defeat. So I, I say when when you listen to the people that say one point against France would be brilliant because then we still have a chance to go to the semi-final. I think nobody at the moment expects Germany to win against France. They hope for it. But uh, really, the first thoughts are only about Switzerland at the moment. And I think rightly so. Because there's a, there's a big, <laughs> I think uh, you mentioned it there, Bjorn, and we don't have to go over the, the whole list of players, but I mean, Schmidt, uh, Lucas Meister, Lenny Rubin, uh, the two Zander boys, Manuel and Samuel, uh, Nicola Portner in goal, Marvin Lear. These are all players who know how to play handball and they know how to play German handball. They know how to play it and they know how to play against it. Would that be the biggest disaster in German handball history if they lost that opening game in front of a world record 53,000 people? So the funny thing is the last defeat against Switzerland after 20 years without a defeat was funny enough in Dusseldorf four years ago. (laughs) Not in the football ground, but in the normal arena. And it was the the first ever national team match of Timo Kastening and Johannes Goller. And when they heard we playing in Switzerland again in Düsseldorf, it's time to take revenge. So, no, um, it, it's really when, when you see the Swiss roster, as, as you mentioned it, they, they, Gisela Son always said, we had this media day today, and he was asked by 100 journalists the question, what is the goal for, what is your personal goal? And he only said, beat Switzerland. That's all. So, the thing is, it would be a kind of disaster because everybody's hoping for a big party. So, you know, after after the match, there's a party for 7,000 fans in the football arena to celebrate the start of the Euro and it would be really crashed. And you have to see that uh, in the constellation of this group, you have three days to your next match. Usually you, you lose a match and the next day you play and have a chance to win. So then you have three days to recapulate the defeat against uh, Sweden, uh, Sweden, Switzerland. And then you still have to wait for this match with North Macedonia. So, and uh, I would say the the German media um, they they would not be uh, very humble to the team if they lose against Switzerland. I just love that forty year old Andy Schmidt, who has never really won anything. You know, let's let's be honest here. Provides so much fear to Germany. This is it's, it's just beautiful. Uh, and the thing is, I, I'd be scared if I was German too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's probably a fear for France though as well. Not them, not France losing to Switzerland, but Germany losing to Switzerland because then that could really mess things up uh, when it comes to the final round of games. But uh, Kevin, I'm I'm sure you're not. Re- France aren't so bothered about the the opening round. It's all about uh, the big picture. Uh, usually, French teams aren't so good in the January before an Olympic Games. Uh, will this be any different? That's an understatement. Mm, they're shite, usually. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want to say the words, but yeah. I, I remember like um, four years ago in Norway, uh, that was like the, the Olympics were meant to, to be the following win, uh, summer. Mm. And we actually 
got the biggest uh, disaster of recent French handball. Like uh, Didier Dina was sacked, uh, we lost to Portugal, and we barely beat uh, who was that? Bosnia. 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 Thank you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I mean, this time the staff has decided to do things the other way around. Like in the previous uh, pre-Olympics, uh, European Championships, the world was basically okay. We're qualified for the Olympics. Let's take it easy without openly saying it. But still, you know, let's not injure ourselves. Let's not put too many, too much pressure on, on our shoulders. Um, whereas now, this is they're all saying, "Oh, we were going to Germany to to win the champion the the championship." You know, this is a completely different mindset. Uh, this is also a special one because. Only a few players in the roster have won the European Championship before. I mean, the last uh, the last win in the in the in the European Championship for France was ten years ago. So there's a real hunger, 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 hunger. There's a real hunger uh, for for France to, to to win the champions the championship, and there is also a, a, a huge hunger for for the team to offer Nikola Kabatic a last trophy. You know, this this is going to play some role. Uh, this is going to play a part. Like this is Nikola Kabatic's last ever Euro, and of course, all these players that have grown up with him uh, by their side, they want to give it, you know, a final push, uh, 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 an extra push uh, for for him to win the win the trophy. But I mean, everybody's very really really aware as well that there is a lot of motivation from Spain, from Croatia, from. All these these uh, these nations to actually get a direct ticket to the Olympic Games, and that is going to be really tough. Uh, I, I'm confident that things are going to be different this time uh, compared to 2020 and to 2016. Uh, I'm, I mean, there is a real hunger for, for for a title that I didn't feel four years ago. So you're saying that if Nikola Karabatic wasn't selected, there's less motivation in the squad to do things. Do, do, do you think he could actually be deselected? Well, that, that's our question that's, for you. That's big question. <laughs> there is no <laughs> bloody way he would be out. Uh, I'm telling you, I mean, he's already got his ticket for the Olympics. Yeah. If you ask but me. Elohim Prandi, Timothy Angerson, Thibaut Brie, uh, Emerick Mean, Nedim Remili, Kanto Mahe, a couple of those guys are going to have to be sacrificed for Karabadic, which is incredible. France played their first uh, preparation game yesterday against Tunisia. Thibaut Brier and Timothée Nguesson were in the stands because they are quite injured. Mm. So, I mean, I, I, I do understand how silly it must look from the outside. Like, but there is... I mean, the first name that Guillaume Gilles is going to write on the starting list, both for the Euro and for the Olympics, if he's available, is Nicolas Kabatic. I mean, if you look at last year's World Championship... He was coming back from an injury and still he was probably the best left back we had. That sounds completely silly. But that's not a good position to be. That's definitely not a good position to be, is it? For for France to have Nikola Karavatic as your best left back for a team that's hoping to win a, a medal. But, but in the meantime, we've got probably the best player in the world right now, which is the command. He can do basically everything by himself. We've got the best line player in the in the world right now. We've got the best right winger 
in the world right now. I think Yanis Lan is at this level. Uh, so we have like one weak spot, which is not really a weak spot. It's an average spot, if you want. But I mean, it's, I mean, when you look at the at the, at the opponents and you look there, the look at, in their faces, on their faces when they play against Nikola Batic, it's something different. Mm. You know that with his experience, with his quality, because he's still an amazing player. He's not at the level that he used to be, but he, he used to be out of this world. But he's still a very good player. He can make the difference on two or three actions. He's not going to be able to play 50 minutes and you know, carry the team on his back, but he's able to make the difference on three or four, uh, three or four actions. I mean, last year when things got heated up and there was a need for some experience, he was the first player that Guillaume Gilles would take out of the bench. But Nikola Karabatic, he's not going to do any harm. Maybe he'd be average, but he, he, he won't do any harm. I know in Prodi is able to be an amazing player but he can be totally terrible as well I mean yesterday in the preparation game he lost three 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 go three three balls missed two shots within five minutes I mean that was against Tunisia in a friendly uh, yeah but th- that's what he always does he comes in shoots about three meters over the crossbar then has a turnover and then scores the next six goals so that's the <laughs> that's how he that's how he warms up I mean, I mean, I mean, he's not—he's not able to do. He hasn't been able to yeah. do that with France yet. Timothée Nguesson has always had physical problems, and he's never been able to play uh, for for a whole tournament. And uh, Thibaut Briet is is going to be a really great player, but still, he's quite green. He's quite young, you know. He he misses a couple of seasons behind him, so he can he can really. I mean, I mean, I, I have absolutely no doubt he will be. It would be, it would be, it would be on the plane for for, for Düsseldorf on, on on Monday. It's fun because Björn was saying that all the German media's were asking for young players. You know, bring the the former U twenty one players to the A team. That's we are completely the opposite. Like that, that would be a national disaster, national crisis, if Guillaume Gil even thought about leaving the Karabatic in the stands. I mean, no, no one would understand but kevin just to, to go on this point is that we don't have to sack any old player so we have no karabatic in our team which we could leave out so we would be happy for karabatic we would be happy with adi schmidt so so there is, <laughs> to, to be honest alfred gislason said i didn't nominate them because they were 20, under 21 world champions because they bring their performance in bundesliga and when you see uh, when you see the players who are injured like Drucks, Wieder, Weinhold is out of the national team. Michal Zegler, we have no others. That's all. But this is a team, again, then we want to beat France in 2027 when we have the next World Championship on home ground. And maybe Karabatic has stepped down finally then. And then we might have a chance. But really, this is not about just bringing in younger players to make the, the average age younger. This is, this is the best. Yeah, but I, I, I was just saying that basically every handball insider, I mean, is really like clever and it seems very obvious to everyone that Nikola Kabat is, is still probably our best asset on the left-back position. That might sound crazy to you guys, but that's... No, fact. he's so important for the team. I absolutely agree with Kevin. 
And it would be a shame to have a tournament without him. It's going to happen soon. <laughs> Enjoy your 20 plus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, we'll wrap up then with the dreaded predictions, gentlemen. Your tips for gold, silver, bronze, and the MVP. I'll go with Bjorn first. Okay. I was thinking what the first way, of course, you will ask me about the German performance. I'm uh, very humble, and I would say they are still on court on 26th of January, but I don't know if they open the day or not. So <laughs> You mean the fifth, sing- <laughs> the fifth sixth place playoff, Phoebe? <laughs> exactly. This is also yeah. have a nice match. We have 20,000 people in Lexus Arena, and to yeah. face, I don't know, Norway for the fifth position. So if we, if we just see the groups and we go through it for the main round and looking on the semifinal spots, from Hamburg, it will be Denmark and Sweden. And uh, to be honest, from Cologne, I see France and Iceland. And uh, Iceland is for me a team which, uh, which goes for the semifinal this time. If uh, nobody breaks Gisli's shoulder again or hits uh, Magnussen's head or something like this. So if they, they don't have 18 COVID cases in one day, um, then uh, exactly then Iceland goes to the semifinal. So I said gold goes to Denmark, silver to France, bronze medal goes to Sweden or Iceland, and Germany takes the fifth position. The MVP will be, again, Matthias Gitzel, because at the moment he's the best player in the world. Sorry for Dika Mem, he's a little bit better than Dika Mem. <laughs> Thank you, Bjorn. Kevin? Uh, I, I kind of agree with Bjorn on a lot of things that he said. Uh, I just think that Spain are going to perform again. So my predictions are gold for Denmark, silver for Spain, bronze for France, and Iceland will definitely play the 5-6 placement game. And I think fourth will be Sweden. And my MVP, I don't know. I mean, it's either Gitzel or Dikamem. If, if Dikamem isn't injured this time, I think it will be close to, to winning the MVP award. I have a feeling everyone's going to say Gietzel, so we're taking you, we're putting you down for Dikamem. Gentlemen, thank you so much for that. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as always to hear from you both uh, and together even better and we'll see you uh, at the championship thanks for inviting me guys on to group B now which has Spain Austria Croatia and Romania and there's only one man for this job it's Nedzad Smilagic how you doing Nedzad well good thank you for having me and thank you for calling me the special expert from 25,000 that you had today or will have. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, we're at, we have you in specifically for two of the teams, but we know you as a guest and as a person who can speak about pretty much any team. So before we get into, you know, your beloved Austria, shall we start start about talking about Spain? I think they're always a good team to talk about at the beginning of, uh, of a championship. I... I'm daring not to believe in them this time. Uh, is it time to stop believing in Spain? <laughs> <laughs> I think that they, I mean, I, I heard, I, I was lucky enough to, to do the post-production of the Alex de Chabayev documentary. So I heard all of the segments from, from his interview and from Jordi Ribera's especially. I think uh, that they build up their motivation based on everything that the Europe or world of handball is speaking about them from every year, because both of them mentioned, yeah, nobody calls us favorites, but every year we are there and still nobody takes us seriously. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, when you look at the roster, I, I watched a couple of minutes of their game against Poland. I saw some interesting stuff. I saw some highly offensive 5-1 defense with Alexis Shabayev in front. I saw also seven against six. So, And I mean, Jordi Rivera, he's, he's living handball every single day, every single hour. So he prepared something special. And I mean, obviously, something special is not Juan Canellas, but the guy is still there. And, and a couple of experienced players. So I will not write them off. As a matter of fact, I see them in, in the semifinals. And, and when they are in the semifinals, they, they are very comfortable. They are the team that they... I, would, I will not say they don't play like a modern handball. If Scandinavian type of handball is a modern one. They don't play extremely fast. They don't rush anything. But I think, for me, it's the, the most intelligent handball national team in the world by far. So you cannot relax in every single moment of the game. They know what's the score. They know the timeline. They know who is playing against them. So, yeah, don't write Spain off. And for me, I see them in the semifinals. And when they reach the semifinals, then everything can happen. I mean, we've talked about it a few times before, and we've often written off Spain uh, at different points in time. Uh, Why do you think people like to maybe downplay what Spain offer before each event and then be humbled every single time? Yeah, I don't think that they have, maybe besides Alex Dushabayev, they don't have like that particular superstar. They don't have like that Mikkel Hansen or Sander Sagosen or, I mean, they have huge names there, but still when you look at the roster, you see names like Ian Tarafetta or or maybe Dani Fernandez, the left winger from, from Stuttgart. So those are like not the names where you think, oh, ooh, that's dangerous. Then again, you have, Canelas and Makeda playing this sport for the last 35 years. So I, mean, I think that's why nobody's quite keen on them. But still, the way that they are playing, again, that level of intelligence. I mean, Alex Dushabayev in, in his interview mentioned every single scene from that final as if it happened yesterday. So they know. They, and I saw at these 15 minutes of the game against Poland in the preparation now, yesterday, I think it was. Uh, they, every single action in the game is being discussed by them. And then on top of that, you have Jordi Rivera and you have always five or six players that won a lot of medals and know how to play big championships. But I, I, I don't think that people can, like calculate with them because they don't have that power as, as Denmark or Sweden have. But for me, and that I will connect that with Austria, I think that Jordi Rivera brings out the best of the players, no matter how they played in the season so far. I think they they perform at their best for the national team when the national team needs them the most. Yeah, well, wait, you, you changed my mind already. You're, you're saying you're going to connect it to Austria. Does that mean the the Austrian coach makes the players worse, or is that or my? Re- no, no, it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, same thing. <laughs> I don't know if if you if you finish with Spain, but uh, that, with me, it's the same thing with Austria. I think that the current coach, Alex Pajic takes out the best of the players, no matter how they play the season so far. Because currently now in the roster, we have six or seven players that ha- that are having a disaster of a season, and they are still there. And I'm quite sure that they will still perform on the level that they can perform, which is far, far, far away from Spain, but still decent. Yeah, Spain, again, it's, it's a mystery. Uh, always is. I think one thing that can be questioned again i know it's it's foolish to to do this but uh the goalkeepers this time around are not in the best form we're talking about two amazing goalkeepers that let's not 
say anything about that, but they're not the like absolute backbone that uh, they have. And I think defensively also, the their squad, while they know what they're doing, they work together really well, I think they're probably missing a couple of real proper defenders and, you know, Guardiola at the age of 39 is still going to do the job, but, you know, it, it might be a bit of a challenge for them. So for me, that's what is kind of gnawing away at me. Are they going to be good enough defensively against teams that will just steamroll them? If you ask me, I think that the defense will not be their problem, to be honest. Yeah. I agree I agree with the goalkeepers. I mean, I was surprised regarding Corrales. I read a couple of articles that it was his personal choice to, to not, not be there. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if you guys have some other information. And I'm also not keen on Sergei Hernandez. I mean, I think he's a decent goalkeeper, but for me, maybe not in the top 2015 in, in Europe, let's put it like that. Gonzalo mm-hmm. Perez de Vargas, I mean, he, he has a history of making crucial saves. The, the question is, can he, like, can he perform as a solely number one, uh, knowing that Rodrigo Colas is not, is not behind his back? Because... I think in like two years ago, Rodrigo Colares was the one that started and then De Vargas came in and made five amazing saves. So now that's also, I agree with that, with the goalkeepers. I think also defensively, they will do something different. I don't think that they will stick with 6-0. I think that they will play this 5-1. Again, I saw it against Poland. It was extremely uh, like high. Alex Mishabaya was on the, on, the, on the middle of the court. Yeah, I agree. There's no Moros, there's no Guardiola, but again, there's Canelas, there's Maqueda. They have the system that we are not allowed to forget. Every single player knows, but they don't have the players that can easily win against, like one against one, uh, give you two minutes penalty, make some goals. So I think in attack, because of their attack, they will not be European champions. Let's put it like that. But you still see them get to the podium? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They always do. They always do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. I yeah. agree with that. So <laughs> you know, the, we don't know about, how, but they always do. And what then about about Austria? Um, obviously, close to your heart. Um, hard to maybe see an upset in this group coming from the Austrian side, but uh, I mean, every now and again they have a result in them. But against Spain and Croatia, it seems seems a fridge too far, as Homer Simpson would say. I'm quite realistic, and I also think that the team is quite realistic, and that they they have a decent amount of uh, like confidence in themselves. They played a decent game against Slovenia. Uh, they show that they are, at least in the group, uh, in the qualifications, they are way better than Romania. So I think that Austria is getting close to I will not say top, but let's say to the top ten teams in Europe. Upset against Spain, I don't think so because Spain will for sure not underestimate them. The game against Croatia will be interesting to see for me. I think that Croatia will have a decent amount of pressure. Uh, and I think that if they slightly underestimate Austria, they can have some problems. Croatia is a way better team. Austria has some really good, interesting players. I, I know that Alex, if I remember correctly, is not a huge fan of Nikola Bilic. <laughs> He's finally healthy. No, no excuses this time. Fully healthy. <laughs> This roster is the best that Austria can can offer. There's no injured players. Uh, Alex Pajic made himself or made like made a decision that I also don't understand. He did not put Elias Koffler in the team, uh, the guy playing in Potsdam uh, for Bob Hunning. Then Bob Hunning made a, a interview 
in, in German newspapers and uh, told that uh, if Austria doesn't need Elias Kofler, then Austria will be European champion. Because if a team doesn't need him, obviously he's his player defending him. I also did not understand that decision. Uh, but otherwise, that's the this is the best roster that Austria has. So there are quite good players in Seppo Frimel from Pixeg and Nikola Bilic, obviously. For me, the current leader and the most important player of the team is Lukas Hutecek from, from Lemgo. He is the beast. He will for sure play 58 minutes or 60 if he doesn't get two minutes penalties. They have a decent starting seven. Huge problem in a goalkeeper position. I mean, if you're speaking about problem for Spain, Austria has under mid-level European goalkeepers currently in the roster. Both of them having, I will not say disaster of a season, but close to that, not even mid-class. So that can be a problem. I don't see any of them overachieving. So maybe that's, I mean, for sure, that's the worst position that they have. Again, starting 7-5, which has a reputation of making the players way better in the national team than they are in the clubs. But I also don't think that any ups- upset is possible. I think that they will beat Romania, but no chance against Spain. Maybe if they have a perfect day against Croatia, it can be a tight game, but I'm also not quite keen on that. I find it remarkable that... Uh... Janka Bozovic and Robert Weber are still in this team. You know, thirty-eight years the pair of them. Oh, Weber had his little comeback in the Bundesliga last season, so maybe not so surprising. But uh, if Wikipedia is to believe, Janka Bozovic now playing his club handball in Kuwait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, But there's Austria doesn't have a better player yeah. in that position. I mean, he's not he's not playing in the starting seven because Bozovic has had has a, like an extremely Good development. He's now playing in Poland in Polavi. And Janko Bozovic is there for five, ten minutes. And if you make a good cross for him, he will score that one or two goals. He's still a good I mean he didn't change. The guy plays the same like the last 15 years. Now he's he's good for seven and a half minutes. And pray to God that nobody attacks him when he's playing when he's playing in the defense. <laughs> and but yeah. Robert Weber is something else. They have Franco Lastro in Gepingen. He's injured now. Uh, and for me, Robert Weber is not the best decision on the right wing, but he will play. Uh, and yeah, that's also a position that after the goalkeeper for me is the weak spot. If only they had Vienna's Ivan Martinovic playing for them. But instead, the former Fivers man who grew up playing handball in Austria is playing for Croatia, uh, who, <laughs> who have a team again. I'm excited about this team. Um, you had a, a nice sit down with Domagoj Dovniak for the, the very good documentary that was produced by yourselves and the EHF. How was that for you? And after speaking to him, what are you expecting from him uh, in what uh, is probably his final hurrah at an EHF Euro? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It, I did not expect him to be so honest and so emotional, I must say, because like the sentence that probably got stick with, with everyone is the one about how he cannot sleep or sometimes during the night. He said that like after five minutes of the interview, we were not even warming up. After 20 minutes, he started telling me, can we speak about that year? Can we speak about 2020? I want to say stuff about that when this game is still <laughs> hunting me, blah, blah. So 
I mean, that one, that one hurt for sure. Uh, but for me, regarding this European Championship, maybe the most important part of that interview, uh, it did not uh, get in in the output. But I asked him which jersey is more heavy, the red-white one or the black-white one from the THW kill. He told me the right, the red-white one from the national team. And I think, I think that's the, in my opinion, that's the key why Croatia is struggling in the last couple of years. I think like that level of pressure that they get from media, maybe not before, but like during the European Championships and or the World Championships or whatever, that amount of pressure, that amount of uh, former players now experts in in TV who are smashing everyone after every defeat or uh, if they win against what I don't know if they win against Romania plus four they will be smashed in the TV after the game and I think that's the and may, yeah the players maybe don't watch it so closely but I think like that level of pressure and also on the other other side I don't know how Perkovac will be but the former coaches in my opinion did not have the courage I would say did not have the balls to put the younger players or to put the players who are in the best shape to lead the team. I think that they need a change of generation on starting on the on the first game. I think that players like Ivan Martinovic, Mati Mandic in goal and Tin Lucin need to have crucial role. Uh, otherwise, I don't see them reaching the semifinals. I think a lot of people expected that change to happen a good while ago, not even just now, but maybe a, a tournament ago. It feels like a tournament of transition for a lot of teams. Of course, it's an Olympic cycle, but um, it just feels like almost every top team have a bunch of players that probably have bigger roles in the squad than their form shows. So for Croatia, uh, definitely Duvniak. Sindrich has barely thrown a ball all year. Uh, Karicic hasn't been very good. You know, we have Mikkel Hansen and Lauga Schmidt in Denmark. They're they're taking up valuable roster spots. We have Karabatic starting for France. Uh, for Spain, Makeda is probably going to be uh, on the backcourt. It's it's really like, it really feels like a tournament where the coach's job is to get the right balance for many teams. The right balance between allowing the experienced guys who own the team to play while having the courage to take them off, to give them five minutes, to give them 10 minutes and allow the young guys to step in. I think that's true for a lot of teams, but I think for Croatia, as you said, Nejad, that it's, you know, you have a first front three that are amazing out of form. And then you have guys like Lucin and Martinovic who are in form, but need the chance. Uh, I think... I think a lot of coaches are not going to be brave enough. That's that's my hot take. And do you reckon this has something to do with the fact that it's the last year of the Olympic cycle? That maybe they're just holding on these players, and this, and then they'll be gone. So coaches are like, okay, have your last go, and then you're gone. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely to do with the Olympic cycle, but it's just how big of a role you give them. Like you know, Karabatic as a player should not be playing for France right now as a single just player as a legend as a leader of course but like shouldn't be and and I think there's a lot of players in, in that situation 
Yeah. I agree with that. I, I, I agree 100%, especially with Nikola Karabac. I think, I think it's also like his relationship with the team and everything. Quality-wise, he doesn't belong in the best 16 that France can offer. But again, he's there, especially, I think, because of the Olympics in, in Paris. With Croatia, I think that they didn't have the courage to, to make some steps in the last five or ten years. They are still living uh, in, in, in the past. Uh, they are still living this Balic, Metlicic, Latskovic era. I don't think that they were quite realistic. I I just hope for them that they will make that Goran Pergus make this cut. And I, the thing is, I'm not speaking about five or ten minutes, as Alex said. I'm speaking about this team should belong to Ivan Martinovic. I think that this team should belong to Tim Lucin or Josip Sharac. And players like Duvnia, Karacic, Sindric should be the backup players. And I don't think that... It's not going to happen. Not, it's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> exactly. Because I, Nikola Karabatic is starting for France, but if you look at their games, he's not playing in the most crucial moments because Guillaume Gilles wants to win games. Maybe in defense, but not in attack. And with Croatia, at least in my opinion, they were forcing because if you remember the, the final two years ago, uh, when Makeda made this 3-0 run on the court for Croatia was injured Luka Cindric. He was not fit enough. He was there injured. Why the hell are you in this? I mean, why? Only because you're Luka Cindric. And that's, I, I mean, the, for me, that's the problem. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I have no idea how good he will be or Karacic. They don't have a decent season so far. So, yeah, that's my take on, on Croatia. They, they got Mario Šoštaric on the right wing. They should say thank you to Slovenia, that Slovenia never put him in roster. I think that's a huge win for them. Playing, a, I think he's one of the top three scorers in, in Champions League. And I will finish it now with a weak spot, and that's, that's the line player, because I don't trust any of these guys. I mean, Marin Skripic is amazing in attack. Uh, even more amazing when Andy Schmidt is playing with him. Uh, yeah, mm. I think I would catch a couple of balls from him. <laughs> <laughs> but Verona Cinovic and, and Kushan are not the line players that you win European Championship with, my opinion. Well, interesting that you mentioned about the uh, still, still living in the past and it was a, the Croatian Federation or announced that they no longer, no longer want to be called the Cowboys anymore, which have been called since 2009. So maybe that's a sign of change, change coming, but... Uh, Let's talk about Bosnia Herzegovina for a moment. They lost uh, to Argentina by by nine in a friendly on Thursday. Was it yesterday? Well, we 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 don't have, we don't have too long for this then. Yeah, it's just a quick, <laughs> <laughs> quick takedown of uh, Bosnia. This is the first time in my life that I don't want to speak about Bosnia national teams. <laughs> no, I mean it's it, that's that's the reality. So whoever thinks different, whoever I got I got in a beef with multiple people in in Bosnia. Because I, I made a post that this is the, I will not say worst, but the weakest roster that we had since I'm following the national team. And I'm, I'm, I mean, the results are confirming it. We have a couple of good players. We have Goric in goal, but don't forget he's struggling in the Danish club playing in the German league called Flensburg Handewitt. Uh, <laughs> you have Bo- his brother in Skjern playing a really good season couple, one or two other guys with some kind of international experience, a decent one, but still mainly in defense. Everything which is coming from Bosnian League is, uh, I, I should stay diplomatic, is bad. It's, it's bad, and, and that's a fact. So it will be a challenge 
uh, I don't know how we will be against against Georgia because let's hope that Sweden uh, I will not has a bad day and wins only by ten. Let's hope that maybe Luke Steins is not quite motivated after they go plus eight in the half. Uh, but that's the reality of Bosnian handball, unfortunately. And and that's it. And I mean, it will be even worse when the players that I named stop playing. And I don't even know how, I mean, we are best friends and I, I don't know why they are coming every year because I speak with them every time and they're like, it's, yeah, it's very hard. You need to imagine going from Flensburg practice to eight or nine guys from Bosnian league where you, where you need to explain basics of handball. And yeah, that's, I think we are the worst team in this Euro. Oh, big, t- big call, big call. Okay, so fr- from the worst then, quickly to the, uh, to the best, who are your predictions for gold, silver, bronze, and MVP? I would say gold, Denmark. Yeah, huge, huge surprise. Shock, yeah, yeah. Uh, silver, let's go with Spain, why not? Bronze, France, MVP, Gitzel. Also surprised, but Gitzel, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Thank you, Dadzad. All right. Take care, Dadzad. Covering Group C with us, Chaz Iceland, Hungary, Serbia, and Montenegro. Uh, Zika Bogdanovic, who just said before we started recording that it's the most interesting group. So lucky us. Uh, Zika from uh, Balkan Handball and Handball Planet. It's good to have you back in the podcast. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm good. I'm as you preparing for the for the Euro. A lot of things to do before, a lot of a lot of articles to write, a lot of uh, smart things to say. So before before <laughs> Trinity Munich, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And uh, joining us from Iceland, we have uh, we're going to use his podcast name, Teddy Ponza from Handcasted. Is that is that a decent enough uh, pronunciation? Actually, quite good. Okay, good. Uh, the uh, Icelandic handball podcast. Uh, lovely to have you on as well, Teddy. And uh, a bit of uh, payback because uh, I was on your podcast last week. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not speaking in Icelandic, though, in English, thankfully for me. So uh, you're, you're putting in a bigger effort. Yeah, now I speak in your native language, but <laughs> it was easier for you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, as, uh, as Sheikha said, uh, it's... Uh, Perhaps one of the most interesting groups uh, in the championship, and uh, I'm I'm going to be there in Munich uh, with you guys, so I'm I'm particularly excited about it as well. Starting off then you, with Yuzhika and this uh, this Serbian team, there, there's always such big question marks about them at the start of every championship. I've been very excited about this team over the last few years. The excitement has disappeared a little bit for me uh, before this championship. How are you feeling about them? I feel I feel that we are in good position. We have this um, Spanish coach Tony Girona, who is leading team for the fourth year. So we have some stability, and uh, I think that this Euro uh, can be some conclusion of his work as his contract running until June this year. So uh, he made a certain group of, uh, of of players. We have some good atmosphere. Players are in good ages. Maybe they could be in better form than 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 we expected that they will be. So, I think that we have a good group in terms of that we don't have some France or Norway to say, yeah, we played good 50 minutes and then 
normally we lost against a better team. Now we have group we uh, which not allows us excuses. So we can play and we can beat, I think, all three rivals and we can lose also uh, against all of them. So I think that it's a good moment for Serbian national team. Uh, guys are quite experienced in this situation. So we have some new faces who are interesting uh, to show up on the big stage. So I'm optimistic. I'm usually not so optimistic when I speak about Serbian handball, but now I'm quite good. And Teddy, what do you think? Would you agree that this is, I mean, some people don't like the term, but the group of death, would you call it this the group of death of the Euro? Or it, It's, yeah, it's the most uh, even equal group, uh, you can say. And, and the main reason for that is because uh, Montenegro is the best nation in the, in the fourth uh, category. Uh, there are a few teams uh, in this tournament that are not really good enough and, and none of them was was in this, in this group. And I think it's going to be a bloody battle between uh, uh, Serbia, uh, Hungary and, and Iceland for the for the two two places to the to the main round and and it's something that you can't quite see in the other groups. Uh, most of them there is this. Uh, you expect uh, the best team to go through, but in this this group it's maybe a bit more difficult to to decide which was which one is is the best team. Uh, even though we Icelanders are, are optimistic and think we are the best team, it's it's more equal than in in other groups uh, most definitely. And we get to see that uh, right at the very beginning with Iceland and Serbia facing off in the first game of the group, which is quite a treat. Um, when we spoke last week on, uh, on your podcast, Teddy, you, you mentioned that it's like the, the holiday time for Icelanders. I know there's, uh, there's thousands of you heading on down to Munich uh, for the championship. Uh, is it purely kind of, uh, kind of joy and, and expectation for this team? at the moment or are there a little bit of nerves about this group the expectations are high and, and actually <laughs> there aren't much nerves regarding this group because we are we are looking higher and, and uh, you know the debate is if we should aim for top eight or top four so <laughs> you know it's 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 it's, it's, it's pretty obvious if you if you're aiming for top four or top eight you have to go through this group and 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 if you're going to talk okay we're going to be in top four top eight of course you go through this group uh, we are uh, we are supposed to be uh, the best team in this group. If you look at the players we have, uh, at least offensive, offensively, uh, one of the best depth offensively uh, in the world, maybe apart from uh, maybe Sweden or Denmark. Amazing roster there. So we are quite optimistic. We are always optimistic uh, before this big tournaments, but uh, I think we have a really, really good team uh, this time. And... and and now and and in the future and in the years to come, we can really aim for the for the semi-finals and a medal that we haven't won since uh, 2010. Not trying to throw petrol on the fire here, but Shika, do you agree that Iceland are the best team in the group? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you do. Okay, <laughs> no petrol then. <laughs> I cannot be blind. You know, uh, they yeah, they they have the best roster: eight players from Bundesliga and then players from Kelse, Westrem, Kolstad. So. That is that is how it is. So uh, I know that they are dealing with with high pressure and with high expectations. I I catch some uh, last year some arguing between Gudmund or Gudmundsson and Olafur Stefansson about that. That Olafur spoke about medals and Gudmund wanted to take pressure away from it. So, uh, but it's normal when you have that class classy players. It's it's normal to. To, to expect that you will go you will go you will go high um, from our point of view 
Serbia is in position to to demanding uh, after four years of work of in in one in one environment of uh, of good coach as Tony Tony Girona is uh, is to demand uh, Olympic qualifications place in Olympic qualifications and our group is also very interesting because Iceland Serbia and Montenegro didn't achieve it Hungary is already there so and if we see the the, the schedule and the, the the whole draw we we know that. Probably the tenth place at the championship will be enough to to achieve qualifications, and I think that that is our primary goal uh, at the championship. Iceland is, I, I agree, Iceland is the is the best team in the group. But you know, first match in the group, and uh, uh, it will be it will be tough. I think that uh, Serbia is preparing uh, roster and the game plan to to run with Iceland. And if we have good Dan Milosadjev between the posts, uh, nothing is impossible. So, uh, yes, Iceland, you know, in, in the in the in the prime, and we are something in behind. But but still, I think that we can we can play good open match against Iceland. Is there something uh, about this team that uh, has really uh, impressed you in the last uh, year or so, uh, or the last couple of years? I mean, the Serbia team always seems to have some kind of injury problems and you don't know in the days leading up exactly who's at full fitness. But uh, what do you think the biggest development has been under Tony as a coach? Uh, as a coach, uh, ha, everything, uh, you know, progressed. I don't know. Uh, you know, we we had always problem with that connections, with that kind of uh, dealing with, uh, with the moments when we lose. Uh, that uh, situations during the big championship when you know when they the, the guys when the Balkan mentality uh, show that uh, bad side you know so I think that that stability that psychologically this this generation is now is now progressing is okay they uh, players know 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 their values uh, I think that we have um, uh, we can play good defense. We have good defensive block in the middle. Also, we can run a lot. Also, we can we can play solid, good Spanish way of attack. The biggest problem of Serbian national team is that uh, most uh, players in backline they are not good in defense. So we have to change them, and that is the biggest problem which Girona knows very well, and he is now facing and trying to find. The way how we can show how we can hide that that problem because all know that most of our backline players they have to change after attack in defense. So that is the, the something what we are dealing. And if we find a way to 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 hide that to cover that, uh, we can play against anyone. And this generation show that they can play against. Anyone uh, literally, we beat Norway in the qualification for this Euro. We beat France in qualifications for previous Euro. We beat uh, Slovenia in playoff for World Championship. So there is a quality. And uh, if you are in good moment, if we have good goalkeeper, as we had one of the best in the world in the moment, and he is very eager and he is very pirate to 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 show that in the national team. So. We can play. We can. I think that in 60 minutes we can beat mostly most of the teams in in Europe. 
Teddy, you're feeling fairly confident about Iceland's chances to get out of the group and then potentially in, in, even to the top four. But where, when you look at this squad, where do you maybe have some worries about maybe some shortcomings uh, in the squad? Or, or maybe an area that other teams would look at saying maybe we can target this and this Icelandic team? Yeah, actually, it's been the same for, for <laughs> quite a few years. Uh, uh, the weaknesses have been in the goalkeeping position, in the pivot position, and and defensively. But uh, I think we found solutions uh, in the goalkeeping position. Uh, of course, with Victor Hartmanson becoming uh, uh, a goalkeeper in international class, so I, I'm not worried worried about him. Uh, uh, the pivot we have uh, Atle Veerson, player of player of Kumersbach, uh, one of the you know, I think he's fifth place of of the top-scoring uh, pivot players in, in Bundesliga this season. So, actually, he's not not, not as good as maybe Saugstrup or, or something like that. But uh, if we, you know, play to his uh, strength, strength I, I don't have much worries uh, there. But something I have, am worried about uh, is the defensive uh, setup. Uh, it's quite clear that we don't have uh, players in the same class defensively as we have uh, in the offense. And... and that's something for uh, the new coach, uh, Snorri Steyn who is uh, who's in control in his, in his first major tournament. He has to find some solutions there. But I think we had the same worries before the Olympics in 2008. We didn't have individually great defenders then, but somehow it clicked and, and we played a great defense in, in that tournament. And, and we're hoping for something similar this time. And, and, and he has... Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, the defense now is a bit more pragmatic than it was under Gummit uh, Gummitsson. It was more like a gung-ho defense and it, it did not help the goalkeepers. So, uh, is, uh, defense now is a bit more passive and, and that helps the goalkeepers as well. So, so yeah, I think that's uh, what other, other teams look at when they are... Uh, when they're looking at the Icelandic, Icelandic team, that the weaknesses might be in the defensive setup. You mentioned the the new coach there, Snorri Gudjonsson. He's only been uh, with the squad uh, since a few months now. Uh, you mentioned the the way he's shifted the defense. Um, but when I speak to people about this team, they they talked about the impact he would have on the attack. What do you think that impact will be? Is he is he shifting the attack a little bit? Uh, yeah, actually, he he was the coach of uh, Valur that competed in the in the European uh, Cup last uh, European League last last season, and uh, they played very very fast handball, and and uh, you know that's his signal: very fast, fast breaks. You know, always run, always run, always run. Uh, I think. What he might do, you know, he he used to be a you know a, a great uh, centre back himself, you know, uh, a very intelligent player, and and he's a very intelligent coach as well. And and I think what he will do is uh, try to play into the uh, strengths of the players that he has. You know, Omar Magnusson and Gisli Christiansson, uh, they play of course together, and and Janus Smarson as well in in Magdeburg. and and so I think we will, uh, you know, see. Uh, the tactical setup similar as we see with Magdeburg. Uh, you know, when when Guðmundur, he was, uh, you know, a bit more old school and conservative coach, and and this was his plan, and he tried to to play that through, and and so, yeah, uh, let's see something similar that we see as Magdeburg. I would I would say. Boys, before we let you go, we have to do something a little bit painful. Uh, we have to ask you for your medal predictions. So we start with you, Jika. So gold. Silver, bronze, plus your MVP of the tournament. Okay. Well, I, I predict the uh, final 
as last world championship was. Uh, so Denmark against France. And I have to say Denmark. Uh, as we know that France doesn't play good tournaments in Olympic year, if we go back last three Olympic cycle or so on, or four maybe. Uh, yeah, Denmark. The most powerful team with the best player in the world, Matthias Gitzel, definitely. So I give you question about MVP also. Uh, yeah, if Denmark win, Matthias Gitzel is MVP. If France win, Nedim Remili is MVP. So everything about left-handers. And for the bronze, ha! Sweden, Spain, Sweden, Spain, Sweden, Spain, Germany. Maybe between Sweden and and, and Germany. So leaving so Iceland out. Germany, Germany. <laughs> Germany. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I think uh, I think we will be above Germany. I'm gonna be cocky. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I think uh, I think we will be in uh, somewhere between four and six. So so uh, we will go for it next year. But. Uh, top three, uh, I had something similar in mind uh, for the bronze, I say Spain. Uh, Spain always win medals. If you look at the last uh, tournaments, uh, they're always in in in, uh, in the medal places. Uh, so I think, the, and I think the final will be between uh, Sweden and, and, and Denmark. Uh, I think they are the two best team at the, at the moment. Uh, of course, France is up there as well. But, you know, if you look at the depths of the teams, uh, the rosters, it's it's amazing. And... I'm gonna say that Sweden is gonna win it again Ooh. in a final, wow. in a final yeah. against a final against Denmark. I can't. <laughs> everybody's saying Denmark. I can't. Be, I can't say that <laughs> as well. That's good. So good. yeah. So uh, Tim Kotteritson, he, he he will be the MVP. Let's say that even though he has now a a, a great understudy, so to say, that can share minutes with him in, in Felix Clark. But I, I think he will have a injury free hopefully that he was not last last uh, last year so i'm going to say sweden and, and tim Gottfriedson. lovely okay Jika, teddy thanks so much for your time and uh, great insight into this group as well uh let's just hope it won't be hungary and montenegro going through <laughs> after all of this which, which would be which would be a classic thing to happen at the euro but uh <laughs> but no uh great stuff guys thanks so much take care bye bye thank you guys thank you bye bye that's it for part one of our ehf euro 2024 previews it looks to be the tougher side of the draw i think um mm. with groups a b and c there's just there's very few easy games for each of the top like two teams in each group that are going to qualify into the main round there's you know every game is going to be difficult in the main round and then you have a couple of relatively good teams that that will get knocked out and potentially cause some surprises in the first round so i think it's really neck and neck and it's not just full of this Scandinavian superstar power. It's, mm. you know, there's real diversity here. So that's, I'm, that's, I'm pretty that's, excited. That's all, that's all in the other main round group. Exactly. <laughs> which we're going to go into in part two. Uh, but it does lead me to a question that come into, comes into my head now. And we've been asking all of our guests for their uh, medal predictions. And we're going to give ours at the very end of the second podcast. But what I want to ask you first is which six teams are going to go through to the main round? from the three groups that we just heard from. 
I have mine ready. If you want okay, to hear well, it. Okay, well, you go, you go first then. <laughs> All right. So I have France and Germany from Group A, Spain and Croatia from Group B, Iceland and Serbia from Group C. Any uh, arguments there? No, I'd say France finishing first, Germany second is is a lock for me as well. Um, I'll go Croatia to finish over Spain, mm-hmm. but Croatia starting hot, and the Group C is the hardest one to call. I'll say, I'll say, Serbia are going to rattle a few cages, just because this, when I somehow feel when the Icelanders get a, get up on themselves, they never never come never turns that well. So I think our, Serbia might win that opening game. Serbia and then Iceland second second position, mm. just to be a bit different, you know. Yeah. Not offering any beers for this one though. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's too early in the tournament. He's, say, he's saving that for later in the tournament. Yeah, yeah when we get to Cologne. Yeah, <laughs> Alex. Uh, something just something is telling me hungry. I don't know. Don't know what it is. They're just. They're not that good. you know there's no expectation but i think that's when hungry do something uh is when they don't have expectation um and unfortunately it could be serbia that 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 don't make it through um that's that's me putting in my neck out there uh i do think that iceland and serbia are two better teams but um something is telling me hungry will go through and then otherwise, uh, Spain, Croatia, France, Germany to, to go through. And then the main round, absolute bloodbath. And we'll get to that another time. Yes, we will. And uh, we'll get on to the other three groups in our next podcast. So thank you for listening and catch you on the other side. Goodbye. Goodbye.